Louisville fall camp is just about a week underway. We'll talk about some of the key takeaways early on on today's episode of the Locked On the Louisville podcast. Stay tuned. You are Locked On Louisville, your daily podcast on the Louisville Cardinals. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome into another episode of the Locked On Louisville Podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Pence. Today's episode brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply he's back it's officially go time for the Louisville football team Grant Mulligan football well football analyst and football recruiting analyst for the state of Louisville.com I should say joins the show again Grant, what's going on, man? Welcome back. Hi. Great, great to be back. Finally, finally out of out of TBT season, ready to get into yeah. ready to get into football season, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. If you remember, um, Grant will be as if he already isn't, but he will be a weekly guest for the show. You know, heading into football season, uh, seemingly beginning this week, um, we're going to talk a little bit about fall camp. Some key takeaways, the cornerback's room is showing out. Chris Bell is a player to keep an eye out on. And then offensive line depth is something that Louisville hasn't had in a while. And it seems like this is finally the year that we have it. And we have it in abundance. So there's a lot of storylines. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, Grant and I both have not been to a fall practice yet. However, uh, from the people that I've spoken to, uh, for those on social media that follow uh, Sports Illustrated's Matt McGavick or uh, Courier Journal's Alexis Cubit, they both do great work posting daily takeaways. Um, and their takeaways have sort of uh, lined up here with what we've seen. So I want to make sure to give them their credit, along with Jody Dimling, Michael McCammon. Anybody who's posting the tidbits out there, it's definitely appreciated. One common denominator that I've seen from everyone that has gone, both in the media and just as fans, is that this cornerback's room is really, really stepping up. Granted, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Uh, Caroline Fenton of Lockdown LSU says it the right way. In fall camp, we're not going to get too high. We're not going to get too low. We're going to take everything for face value. Well, Grant, for face value, Jarvis Brownlee and Quincy Riley have been absolutely balling out in the first week of fall camp. Um, and then not to mention, you have guys like Storm Duck, Trey Franklin. How long has it been on paper since Louisville has had a defensive backs room at the cornerback position as deep as it is now? I'm not sure that we have a guy who's as, as top end as, as Jair Alexander, but when we had those guys where we had you know, Jair out there and Tremaine Washington out there, um, we had some some seriously talented rooms during those times. But in terms of pure depth, uh, I can't remember the, the last time that, that we had talent just about three deep where you can rotate in three platoons worth of guys and all right. of them are, are starting caliber defenders. And that's a, a great, great problem to have. I think there's going to be plenty of reps to go around. I think who's starting and who isn't whenever we get into the season isn't going to matter as much for this position group. I think with the depth that they have, 
I really feel like there's going to get a lot of rotation going, keeping everybody's legs fresh. But to, mm-hmm. to mirror what you said, to echo what you said, Jarvis Brownlee and Camp so far has looked as advertised. And, and as much hype he's gotten in the offseason and the strong note that he finished the previous season on, he has he's surely taken a hold of the reins of, of being essentially the leader of that group. Um, the rest of the group doing great things, making plays against a very talented receiver room. Of course, Quincy Riley, someone who was a huge playmaker for us last year. You should see an even bigger jump for him this year. It's it's a one of the most exciting rooms currently on the roster, at least on paper. I would put them in the top in one of the top three most exciting position groups going into the season, and they have not disappointed so far in camp. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Storm Duck in that picture as well, a guy that's very, very accomplished at this level, uh, former All-ACC um, recognized player. But one guy that has been mentioned that I feel like does get mentioned or has been mentioned throughout the offseason, but not enough, that's Trey Franklin, a guy that has been with this program um, in 2021, turned heads, um, actually stepped up for Louisville when the Cardinals needed it, when Kittrell Clark went down with injury. You wouldn't be able to tell with only 10 tackles, but he had two interceptions last year, um, only recorded one pass deflection, didn't have another uh, measurable statistic. But a veteran guy that returns in this group that I think when his number has been called in years past, he's shown that at the very least – He's a quality depth piece. And I think he'll continue to show that. And I think deservedly he's going to get a larger role in this group than he has in years past, just by the nature of how we're going to rotate in and out. But he's earned it. Uh, the, the His work ethic of working on his craft, stepping up in moments in which he's needed. You have you had corners previously who go down and quarterbacks and, and pick on him because he's an unknown commodity. And he would make a splash play, battled through you know, adversity and up and downs on plays. I think we're going to see a, a confident uh, and a ready Trey Franklin uh, this upcoming season. I think he's really going to benefit from the other talented players in that group. He's not going to be you know, relied upon so heavily to, to fill giant a giant void if somebody goes down an injury. Yeah, that rotation is still strong. So he can go out and, and play confident and know that you know, his his role is is defined, and I I'm excited to see how he develops. and And the signs coming out of camp so far have been just what we had hoped: is that he's he's steadily progressing, and he's going to be a presence that a lot of Cardinal fans are going to need to get familiar with. Unfortunately, years past, this Louisville secondary has had some very talented players at the cornerback position, but scheme issues have or quite frankly, kind of hindered the talent of some cornerbacks that have played for Louisville in the Scott Satterfield tenure with how far the defensive backs play off the football or how far they did play off the football. Um, new scheme here with the four two five co-defensive coordinators now. No Brian Brown, no Scott Satterfield. It's yet to be seen what we're going to see from the defensive backs at the line of scrimmage. What are you hoping to see in terms of schematic structure and how uh, these cornerbacks are used? Are you wanting to see them utilize more in man coverage, more in zone, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage? How do you feel like this group in particular is best able to succeed? 
I think the makeup of the room is really going to lend itself well to press man and, and being in those kind of coverages because you have a lot of guys who are long and physical, which has clearly been the mantra for what the group has gone after in this offseason, both who they've added in, at the high school level and who they've added at the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. You've got guys like MGK, like Marcus Washington, like Aaron Williams when you get them out of the high school level. Almost every corner that they've added is six foot and above. They've got length. They've got man coverage pedigree in their past. I think that they were – I think it's it's no coincidence that this is the kind of corner that they were going after, and there's a reason why those kind of corners are coming here because they know that that kind of skill set is going to be utilized, and I think that we're going to see a lot more physicality uh, out of the corners than we've seen in, in years past, at least in terms of, of how they're being used. I think it's it's going to be really exciting to to let them, you know, let loose and and be physical with receivers at the line of scrimmage and uh, match up down the field. I think this is a group that really lends itself to that play style just as a whole. Uh, and you've got guys three deep on on every position who can who can play that way. I would agree there. I think that allowing them to use that phys- physicality is something that. I think would really benefit Louisville, especially with the size at the position, um, just the way that these players play. I mean, Jarvis Brownlee is a very physical cornerback. Storm Duck is a physical cornerback. Quincy Riley is a ball hawk. Uh, a lot of these other guys are pretty solid sized as well. So I would definitely like to see um, Louisville play more of a system to where you're not allowing teams to – just essentially dink and dunk down the field. Now, whether or not you're playing further off the ball or not, I think the name of the game is making adjustments as to what works and what doesn't work depending on the opponent that you're playing. But nonetheless, one takeaway from camp so far in week one is that the cornerback's room is showing out against a pretty solid wide receiving core for Louisville. But I want to talk about one of those names in particular. That is Chris Bell, a name that Grant and I have talked about in depth as a potential player that could see time at tight end, could see time at wide receiver. But regardless, it's going to be tough to keep him off the field this fall. We're going to talk about why here momentarily after we talk about our friends and the title sponsor of the show, LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. You can add your job, create it with the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile. You have simple tools like screening questions to make it easy on your search. You can find the candidates with just the right skills you're looking for. Small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs the number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com. Slash locked on college. That's LinkedIn.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. 
Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Moving right on along in this second segment of this Tuesday edition of the Locked On Louisville podcast, um, weekly guest Grant Mulligan on the show with us discussing a little bit of week one of Louisville football camp, year one under Jeff Brom. A lot of players in this wide receiving core have stood out. I've been told that Kevin Coleman Jr. is a star in the making, as many would know. Uh, Jamari Thrash has been showing out. Amari Hogan's Bruce has been showing some signs of, you know, pretty solid stuff. Two other names, Jaden Thompson, Jimmy Callaway, two names that we've talked about that have transferred in that are going to play. However, and this is no disrespect to either or any of these guys and saying that they're not playing as good as this player, but keep an eye out for Chris Bell. Chris is a player that I feel like, you know, his size – um, you know, being listed 6'2", 220, giving you that ability to maybe slide over at tight end in certain situations, but is showing some big-time stuff at fall camp. Grant, I feel like he's a player that's going to be tough to keep off the field, but just how much is there available in terms of production possibilities for a guy that is maybe on the outside looking in? Well, the, the fortunate thing for him is that being in a very pass-heavy offense means that there's a lot of ball to go around. And with what he has shown this offseason and what he's shown the new staff is that he is a guy who you can really rely on to go and get a jump ball, make a tough physical catch, which is all things we knew. It's something he specialized coming out of coming out of high school. And a reason why a lot of fans were talking him up as a potential sleeper, even as early as when he committed. Um he, like you said, he's going to be a guy that's going to be tough to, to keep off the field. And as the season progresses, you know, he's still very young. He's going to going to work his way into a role. But with that that body, that physical profile, <clears throat> it, it provides a mismatch, against, especially against smaller corners. So he might be a guy you can bring out as, as a third, fourth wide receiver on the field when you know you've got that matchup against a smaller corner. Let him go over the middle, catch a post, and and make a great catch down the field pick up some chunk yardage. So by adding to, to what he specializes in to, and allowing him to continue to round out his game, he's a young guy who has showed a lot of potential and there is a lot of reason to be excited about him. And I, I think that I, it's good that he's, he's getting his time in the sun now. I made a hot take when we previewed the tight end position for Louisville. I said that Josh Lipson was going to be the starter. Jamari Johnson was going to back him up and Chris Bell was going to be the third string tight end because Jeff Brom has essentially said that we have to find ways to get him on the field and reading in between the lines. If, you know, putting him at that tight end position in certain situations, in certain situations as a pass catcher makes sense. Well, then you should be all for it. Um, There's been news that Jamari Johnson has looked solid. Um, Joey Gatewood as well. I feel like tight end is sort of a log jam in terms of guys competing, although it's not necessarily set in stone, but with two tight end sets, you just never know. Um, Do you think that his role is more carved out for being a wide receiver or does he kind of fit the mold of a Marshawn Ford used as an H back in different situations or are we kind of too early to tell at this point? I think there's some aspect of too early to tell, but with the way 
that the Brom offense likes to use their tight ends, I would be very surprised to see him move there in, in a full-time role. I think his future and his his best position is, is always going to be outside at that X receiver spot. But where it currently stands, where it's a very congested wide receiver room and a very congested tight end room, I can see him a guy, I can see him as a guy who this year is able to make an impact at both. I'll see him, of course, his primary role is going to be at receiver, and I, would, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him command at, at very worst second string reps as the season progresses. But when you're looking for mismatches, and it's something that the Brahm offense is, is famous for, uh, and you're looking to exploit opposing defenses, and you have a guy who has the physical profile to go out there and play tight end as well as receiver, I don't see why they wouldn't give him uh, give him a try or give him a few chances to go out there and catch it uh, from a receiving role at that position. So, like I said, I, I think his home is receiver. I think that's where he'll stick long-term. I think he'll be an excellent player for, for the cards at X receiver. But for this season, I think they're going to try to move him around and, and try to exploit mismatches, and he's a great guy to have for that kind of role. Two players that I think of, former Louisville Cardinals, that I think um, both occupied a role that I could see uh, Chris Bell eventually playing, Seth Dawkins, you know, being sort of the same build, 6'2", 6'3", almost 220. Um, maybe not so much in terms of size, but play style. Jamari Staples um, didn't weigh as much as Chris Bell, probably a little bit taller, though. Um, but guys that I think both utilize their size to their advantage, but make no mistake about it, they also have that ability to turn on the burners and uh, beat you downfield and you know be a potential you know low key home run threat. Um, what do you think in terms of differentiating skill set between the rest of the wide receiving core at this point in time? How much does that work to his advantage when you have? You know, Jamari Thrash, Kevin Coleman, Amari Huggins, Bruce, all, you know, under 6'1", having a taller, more physical, better size receiver at your disposal. How much does that help his chances to see the field? First, I want to say I love the Seth Dawkins comparison. I think yeah, Seth was a great player who was far too underutilized in, in the Satterfield offense. I respect Seth. I hope he's doing well in life now. Um, but he does have that same kind of large, you know, big body wide receiver X physical profile. And I think that it absolutely helps him in carving out a role because when you look at the projected starting wide receiver group, it's kind of a small ball, uh, only one guy who's six foot and, and that's, um, uh, Jamari thrash. Sorry, blank there for a moment. Jamari thrash is the only one who's six foot in that starting group. Uh, of course, the only one who has that same kind of height, uh, Jaden Thompson, I believe, is also listed at 6'2". But after that, you've got a pretty small wide receiver group, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that, you know, having guys who can differentiate there and who have that vertical, that physical profile to complement our, our rack threat, our smaller speed guys, having a, a big body possession guy who can simply out physical a defensive back or take up space in a, in an empty zone. I think that that, that helps his chances a lot. It gives him a very 
different skill set as to what the starting group guys bring and and even what some of the other depth guys bring. Any way that you can differentiate yourself in such a crowded room and you can prove that you have a skill set that's different from the other guys is going to help you in terms of playing time and opportunities. And I don't think that there's another receiver on the roster who fits exactly what Chris Bell does. So I think that he situations that are going to require him and his skill set that other guys can't do. And I think that's really going to be where he shines. I think the one player that if he were to have stayed um, sort of plays like Chris Bell, that's D Wiggins, you know, being a taller guy, um, maybe not necessarily more of a strength guy, more than the, just being very, very tall. Um, but I agree. I think that the, the differentiating skill set that he brings to the table, I think especially helps in the goal line situations, potential one-on-one back shoulder fade, uh, using that frame to his advantage. Also, you know, short yardage gains. Um, but regardless, I think that he is definitely a name to keep an eye out on. Uh, but a ton of depth at this wide receiver position. Um, some names that we hadn't even talked about, Kataris Hicks, Jaleel McClain, two guys, two true freshmen that have also made some big-time plays. So it's going to be interesting to see how things uh, shake up as we get closer to that first game. But speaking of depth, hallelujah, it is nice to have some offensive line depth, and offensive line depth is something that um, has kind of made it a little interesting to try to predict the starting five. We'll talk about how Louisville has lined up uh, here in the next segment. Before we do that, I want to thank you all again for making us your first listen of the day. Just a reminder that the show is free on all streaming services, five days a week, your team, every day. All right, Grant, final segment of the show. We're talking offensive line depth. Um, You and I predicted our depth chart in our starting lineup um, back in July, or actually it might've been June, one of the two, the months run together at this point. Um, But a couple things that we didn't have, we didn't have Eric Miller working out at right tackle. Renato Brown moving over to right guard. Um, But nonetheless, I think that the versatility and depth work hand in hand. And just how good does it feel to know that Louisville on paper not only has depth, but they have a ton of veteran presence in the trenches. One thing that it almost makes you happy a little bit to, to be wrong with your offensive line projection, because you have guys who you think fit one way, but the coaching staff sees it a completely different way that they have that kind of versatility. And that tells me, you know, if if we're moving Eric Miller to to right tackle, then I feel very confident about you know, having uh, an equally talented player on the left side as well. You know, clearly the staff feels confident in that. But having guys, you know, having that kind of depth to where it's not obvious as to who's going to be playing where, because not because there's a lack of talent, but because there's so much talent on the offensive line group that you don't know who to plug in and who's going to stand out the most, but that is that's a feeling that we haven't had in a long time. I can't remember the time we've had a, an offensive line as deep as this, and it's it's really, really, really great to have that to usher in the Brom era and, and the way the physical brand of football he likes to play. 
and and keeping Plummer clean against tonight is some stout ACC pass rushes. I think uh, I think Renato Brown moving to guard. I I really think is going to benefit him a lot. I think he'll be a stud at guard. He served us very well at tackle, but I had always thought that given his body type and the strengths to his game, that he would be a stud guard. And to have, if it works out that way to start the season, having Eric Miller, right tackle, Renato Brown, right guard, Brian Hudson center, that is an extremely stout right side of the line. I think Jawar Jordan is going to have Grand Canyon size gaps to run through. It's going to be fun. It's so it's so fun to project how this offensive line group is going to shake up because you can you have talented guys at all five positions. The only one that even sees seems locked in is is Brian Hudson at center, and obviously that's because he's a, a NFL prospect. He's he's a real deal. He's a player. So right, it's fun though. It's it's really fun to to see what that, that final offensive look, line starting group is going to look like. Cause this is a deep offensive line with a lot of great players, talent everywhere. And it's so relieving to have that instead of worrying about which side of our line is going to leak. This is a, a fairly new group um, altogether. When you look at the, the new players that have transferred in, but the chemistry and the camaraderie is already there. Eric Miller made a comment that he said, I'll I'll call something out, but if Brian Hudson says something else, we're going with what Brian says. So you have that leadership there. You have Michael Gonzalez speaking extremely highly of the offensive line already. You have Renato Brown uh, moving to the inside. There's a ton of versatility. It seems like there's obviously already a ton of leadership. There's a lot of camaraderie. I don't, like I said, don't get too high, don't get too low, but I mean, I don't know how you don't feel, how you can feel any better about the offensive line at this point in time where things stand on August 8th. I don't know how I could feel better. The only way I can feel better is if we have Makai Becton starting back at last. Why did I think you were going to say that? And I, I had a weird feeling you were going to say that, and I'm, I'm here for it. I'm maybe I've been for- on the show a few times. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe you know the mannerisms at this point. But that that is truly the only way that could make this group better, in my opinion. I would, I was, I was concerned about what the group would look like at the end of last season. The staff has done an excellent job. Richard Owens has done an excellent job in building that group up mm-hmm. with an influx of talent at every position. You've got young guys who are coming in who are going to carve out long term roles without having to thrust them into starting positions right away. Uh, I was happy to see or happy to hear that Joe Crocker had had gotten a lot of praise coming out of camp. Yes, saying he's one yeah. of the young guys yeah. to look for, especially considering he was a, a late add to the class, and a lot of the hype, of course, went to Madden Sanker and Luke Burgess. Deservedly so, they're both highly rated prospects and with talent, you know, that's undeniable. But to to know that Joe Crocker, he isn't one to to be slept on one who belongs in the same breath as the other two. Uh, that's, that's truly exciting to, to have not only the present look strong with the amount of depth, but the future lo- looking very bright as well for some, some young, very talented players. Positions of depth that we are not used to having depth at is such a breath of 
fresh air and relief, and I'm excited to see how fall continues to shape up for Louisville. Obviously, we hope that the players um, continue to stay healthy. That's the main thing for me in, in fall camp. Um, as we get closer, Grant, we're just under a month away. Uh, this is going to go by very, very slowly as we get up to that first game. But that's going to wrap up this Tuesday edition of the show. If anything, you were one episode closer to that kickoff game uh, down in Atlanta. But everyone, have a great day. Thanks, Grant, for joining in. That's going to wrap up today's episode. We'll see you right back here really soon. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.